genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. Today, we're concluding our miniseries on the Men in Black franchise with the reboot slash sequel starring Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth, 2019's Men in Black International. And we have a guest joining us to talk about Marrakesh. Agency moles and tiny alien sidekicks is fellow podcaster and one of our bestest friends in the galaxy, Cass Fredrickson. Hi. Hello. Hi, Cass. Hello. Welcome. Happy to have you on the show finally. Yeah. <laughs> finally. I'm after after four after whole, three episodes. whole episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When's it gonna happen? <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, once again, this is a movie that our co host hasn't seen. Cass, you hadn't seen Men in Black International. Mm-hmm. Until mm-hmm. like Three hours ago. Nor had Scott. Yeah. It just passed me by in, in mm-hmm. theaters. I mean, it came out. Everyone who saw it said it was bad and not to waste my time. And I think the reason that I didn't go anyway, because usually that doesn't stop me. But for some reason, the thought of a Men in Black movie starring Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth being bad just made my soul hurt. And mm-hmm. I was like, I can't put myself through that. And mm-hmm. so I just didn't go. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Cass, have you seen the other Men in Black movies? I've seen the first one a couple of times, and I think I've seen most of, if not all, of the second one, and I don't think I've seen the third one. So, okay. Yeah. Did the first one leave any kind of impact on you, like as a kid growing up, as a, as a 90s kid? I was really scared of the bad guy. Mm-hmm. I saw, I, I'm like, I have very vivid memories of watching that movie for the first time because it was like on the day my brother was born. So we were like chilling at my grandma's house and my uncle who lived there at the time was like, hey, let's watch this movie with aliens in it. And I was like, okay. And it was really scary. But I liked it more seeing it as like a teen because mm-hmm. it's like, it's like goofy scary. Right. And I really like Will Smith as an actor in general so like he's really good at that so (laughs) and the reason that we were both scott and i were really excited to have you on is you're a big thor fan yeah Mm -hmm. in general of like the thor franchise and of course like thor ragnarok which Mm -hmm. uh, stars tessa thompson and chris hemsworth Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so like i talked about not seeing it and the reasons why i didn't end up seeing it Mm -hmm. but when this was announced i didn't know anything about f gary gray really Mm -hmm. other than he was directing f8 and i'd seen the trailer and it looked insane And I remember hearing the news of they're rebooting Men in Black. It's going to star Chris Evans and Tessa Thompson and be directed. Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, sorry. Chris Hemsworth, (laughs) Tessa Thompson. What did I say? Uh, Chris Evans. The other other Marvel. Oh, Chris Evans. Yeah. Chris Hardwick, (laughs) Tessa Thompson. Chris Hardwick. Oh, man, that's wrong, too. There's too many goddamn Chris's. Hollywood. (laughs) Chris. (laughs) <laughs> what? Chris, Chris Hemsworth. Hemsworth, thank you. 
God damn it. Um, Chris Hemsworth and Tessa, Tessa yeah. Thompson yeah. and F. Gary Gray. F. Gary, well, directed by yeah. a, a Fast and the Furious director. Got it, got it. And I was like, that sounds rad. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I'm like, I can't wait for this. Like, I, I really thought like this was perfect. Right. And my disappointment at first, the first trailers not really being anything. And then the movie coming out and everyone being like, it's not really anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, it was just so disheartening because I love men in black. I love this franchise and this sounded like a perfect reboot and they just, it just felt like they fumbled it. So I'm very curious to hear about all of those. Oh, like details. what happened? Yeah. What happened? Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, this uh, wasn't the first attempt at revitalizing the men in black franchise in the wake of men in black three. Oh yeah. Just to kind of cover ground uh, in the aftermath of men in black three from last episode. It was one of those movies that made one buttload of money, but it needed to make like three buttloads of money. Mm-hmm. Men in black three had a budget of $225 million. Oh my God. Yes. And that's had a large part to do with, you know, the movie itself, but then also uh, Will Smith at that point carried a heavy price tag and mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. marketing spared no expense. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the break was expensive. Yeah. Break in production that we talked about last episode yeah. due to script stuff. It was, it's a time travel movie cast. So, <laughs> uh, a lot, a lot of, a lot of hand wringing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it was, it was well received critically and by the fans, it was seen as like a return to form, but also the end of an era. Sony wasn't interested in continuing the franchise with Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones, and Barry Sonnenfeld, mm-hmm. both for creative and financial reasons. It just would have been too expensive. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, they, they they decided to, instead of a reboot, try something else. And the reason we know about this is because of uh, an infamous hack that happened in November of 2014. This was the uh, the Sony hack that was carried mm-hmm. out by the Guardians of Peace, a hacker group that was demanding the cancellation, uh, the withdrawal of the release of the Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg movie, The Interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that that movie you can now watch on Netflix on a Saturday whenever you want. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, okay, this guy, Randall Park's pretty good in this. Yeah, uh, it really worked out for them, is what you're saying. Um, <laughs> and so all kinds of stuff came out in the wake of this hack. Everything from confidential data about employees, leaked personal info, emails, salary info, copies of films that hadn't been released yet, planned scripts, all kinds of stuff. One of the stories that came out in the wake of this hack was um, the news that Amy Pascal and Jonah Hill were attempting to or had thought about crossing over the Men in Black and 21 Jump Street franchise. Mm-hmm. What? Yes. Yeah. There's like emails of Amy Pascal and Jonah Hill talking about what if Schmidt and Janko from the 21 Jump Street movies joined the Men in Black. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, but then but then the question is, would they be Agent S and Agent J2 or 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 what are their first names? Would they go off go, go for their first names? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what their first because they're are. known as like Schmidt and Jenko. Like that's everyone like, knows. That's every- what their Macy's Day Parade balloons are called. Right. Exactly. So everybody every knows that. But like that's what they go by in the, no, in sure. the movies. Yeah, and so it, it would be weird if like suddenly they're like going by their first name letters. And then would they just be permanently men of black people or? Yeah. God. So I'm sure these were all conversations that were had by Phil Lord, Chris Miller, Jonah Hill, Amy Pascal, mm-hmm. as well as Walter Parks and Laurie McDonald, kind of the shepherds and producers of the Men in Black franchise. Jonah Hill in these leaked emails is credited as saying that the idea seemed, quote, clean, rad and powerful. Mm-hmm. There was excitement about this. It seemed like a swerve and something unexpected, which 
uh, was what the first Men in Black movie was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it was kind of like an oddball surprise. Right. After months and months of workshopping and story ideas, which we've learned from this miniseries is kind of Parks and McDonald's way of doing things and developing an idea. They just found that it didn't work. There's actually a really interesting quote from Laurie McDonald. She found that the two franchises were fundamentally different. Men in Black is about extraordinary events and things being played deadpan. Whereas the Jump Street franchise is about very recognizable genre situations going over the top. And trying to make a movie that honored both of those styles just didn't seem possible. That was the creative reason. There was also a financial reason. Jump Street producer Neil Moritz refused to compromise his first dollar pact. And I didn't know what a first dollar pact was, listeners, but I looked this up. And a first dollar pact is when you are given a portion of the gross of a movie on the first like day of release before the movie makes a profit. Mm-hmm. You just get some of that first cut. And Neil Moritz was like, I want that sweet, sweet first dollar cut. And they're like, no. He was like, then the movie's canceled. <laughs> <laughs> That's... Yeah, I think we lose more movies from being greenlit because of deals like that and people not compromising. Wow. We we lose more movies because of that than anything else. I really think then like interesting creative reasons. Yeah, yeah. It's always just like some guy, some some old producer just being like, No, I want my money, pay me. Fuck you, pay me. Uh, like that's it. <laughs> and, the, uh, and that last <laughs> bit of information is credited to a story by Boris Kitt. For The Hollywood Reporter, I, that was published in June of 2019, that I will actually be using as a reference even more so than MIB Films by Lisa Fitzpatrick and Sharon Gosling. Mm-hmm. There, I, I did use some stuff from that book, but uh, yeah, this this Hollywood Reporter story is where a lot of the uh, information that I'm using is coming out of. The, I think that's a really good point creatively on the, on the 21 Jump Street, the reason why it doesn't work. I think that, that makes sense. I remember in my head thinking like, oh, that's a really exciting prospect. I want to see that. Mm-hmm. But the way that you explain it, that makes perfect sense as to like why that yeah. wouldn't work. Cass, um, I, I don't think I remember. Are you a fan of the 21 Jump Street movies? I've actually like, I've never like sat down and watched them. Like I know uh, like about them, but I've never like actually seen it. So like. I, I think you would really like both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of have like Barb and Star energy. They do. Yeah. Okay. They're like a little they're like a little broy, but they're also like really sweet and yeah, smart. I don't think they are that bro. They're broy in a positive way. Yeah, in I like guess the... in a in a positive way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They're different. It sucks though, because it's a franchise we're never gonna talk about because there's only two of them. That, that's they need the to rules. make a third one. This but, could have been it. Yeah. I don't know. They also both have like really good casts, like Brie Larson's in the first one. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. And they're both uh, Phil Lord Chris Miller, so they're like yeah. on the level of like a Lego movie or cloudy mm-hmm. movie yeah but yeah, I, what, what an interesting world that would have been yeah yeah i mean i was i was excited at the prospect of it but you know thinking about it it's like yeah they're right that that doesn't really yeah. those two things don't gel they don't work together and those it's a miracle that 22 jump street is as good as it is yeah it's really cool that there isn't like a bad version of those guys in a movie right mm. that being said if they announced tomorrow that lord miller were rebooting the men in black franchise i would be a hundred thousand percent down sure they feel like a good pick the guys who did game night would be a really good pick oh yeah for a men in black reboot i don't know that in retrospect i don't know if f gary gray was the right uh, choice phoebe waller bridge yeah yeah oh yeah she Killing would be Eve. a good agent too 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or like an alien or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or a droid leading a revolution of droids. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> not to typecast her. But... Sure. Yeah. But yeah. So uh, after the, in the wake of 23 Jump Street falling apart, they decided to just go the old fashioned way and just reboot everything. <laughs> I love the idea that they would still be called. It would still be called Twenty Three Jump Street. <laughs> the <laughs> title appears nowhere. In the- yeah, like, we're men of black now. Twenty Three Jump, Jump Street. Street. It was like what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> the office moves again. The men of like, black are located on Twenty Three Jump Street. Or is Twenty Three Jump Street the the men of black headquarters? Yes. Yeah. If you the camera pans to the left and it's the Lincoln Battery ventilation <laughs> yeah. building tunnel the door. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, so uh, Art Markham and Matt Holloway were hired to write the script. Uh, the screen, the co-writers of the first Iron Man movie. Mm, okay, and yeah. there would end up being interesting parallels between those two processes. Yeah, uh, as we'll find out. Uh, they're quoted as saying in the book that they loved the first movie; they thought it was a classic, but they wanted to figure out how to approach it as like a reboot and Walter Parks's idea was to like retell the story, but under different emotional circumstances. Mm-hmm. So the idea of Molly, this girl who uh, learns about the men in black herself and then like goes in search of them mm-hmm. was like an old Parks McDonald idea that resurfaced in the wake of them, like talking about like different, they wanted like a different protagonist, a different entry point. And right. so, yeah, Molly is like a super, smartly written protagonist in that regard if she's like coming in from a new angle right but already kind of knows some stuff right right the hollywood reporter story said that that first draft that holloway and markham wrote was uh really good people really liked it it was that script that drew hemsworth and thompson's attention mm-hmm. the script was stated to have like more edgier humor mm-hmm. kind of more modern sensibilities and even was sort of about like the immigration debate going on in europe at the time or you know to this day mm-hmm. Then in the summer of 2018, there was a inside shift in personnel. David Bobear, a Sony exec VP of production who was overseeing the entire project, left to become a producer. And his position was never replaced. Mm-hmm. There was like an insider in the Hollywood Reporter story that said the Sony was kind of like an absentee landlord at that point. Like, because, hey, you guys make your movie. We're not really getting involved, which huh. is interesting. Mm-hmm. So they hired F. Gary Gray to direct the movie, and there ended up being clashes between F. Gary Gray and Walter Parks. The drafts that were edgier and about, like, immigration, yeah, uh, those were being rewritten by Parks. To go back to part one, Walter Parks wrote such movies as Sneakers and War Games mm-hmm. and sees himself as a storyteller even more, if not as much, as, like, a suit producer guy. Okay. So a lot of this stuff was rewritten well into production. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where new scripts, new pages were being written and sent to the actors every day. Now, oh now I, I seem to remember, and I don't remember where I read this, mm-hmm. but I, I, I seem to remember a story about how one of the issues with, with the script was that both Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson both had screenwriters working for them to rewrite their stuff. Yes. Okay. Uh, that's something that, yeah, in the wake of these pages being rewritten every day, the actors are getting confused, so they hired their own dialogue writers. Right. I don't okay. mean they each had one dialogue writer. I mean they each had multiple dialogue writers. Oh, my God. So okay. what we had here on any given day in the, on the set of Men in Black International is you're going to a set where you have F. Gary Gray directing, Walter Parks rewriting pages, through funneling through these two writers. They're on set as well. Yeah. 
as well as Tessa Thompson has multiple dialogue writers. Yeah. At least one. Right. As does Chris Hemsworth. Wow. What? <laughs> it's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> wow. The Hollywood Reporter also makes the claim that at some point Parks actually stepped in to helm certain scenes. But the Directors Guild of America tells The Hollywood Reporter that no rules were broken during the production of the filming. So that being what it is. Yeah. The story also says that the studio had to talk F. Gary Gray out of walking out of the movie multiple times Mm -hmm. during this process. Dang. So this story came out. (laughs) It got around. People were like, dang. And Walter Parks actually responded to the Hollywood Reporter story and the Hollywood Reporter posted this reply. They're saying, we stand by our story. We stand by the nine anonymous sources who worked on the set of Men in Black International that provided us this information. But we are providing this rebuttal. It's an interesting. So the the Parks rebuttal acknowledges that there were multiple writers on the set. Okay. But he funnels it through the perspective of, uh, I keep going back to their nibs, the the Holloway Markham script. Uh Uh-huh. That was completed. 17 weeks of prep time were left for yeah. the movie. So he argued that there was always going to be writing during production. Uh-huh. That's not enough time to have the script perfect and ready to go. Uh-huh. So he doesn't deny the fact that there are multiple act- like writers in the pot. Uh, he has this interesting quote where he says that like there were three things that the rewrites were... The reason the rewrites even happened. Mm-hmm. Production and budget constraints. Mm-hmm. This had a budget of $110 million. Okay. Modest for yes. this kind of movie. Yes. Yeah. And so there were like production and budget constraints that had to come into play with rewrites, changing locations, punch up for actors, like Scott said. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> villains were changed. At one point in the early drafts, there were like the villains were a band, like the Beatles. <laughs> oh, that's feels more fun and men in blacky. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they were changed to two dancing twins. Uh, <laughs> and that was an. F, total F. Gary Gray idea. Okay. That we'll get into. All right. And so Parks is saying that like the needs of these actors and the director and the budget constraints and the location stuff and the studio and like these are the reasons why you get this process. Okay. He, he, he doesn't go out of his way to deny like what happened, but I think he's just like, look, this isn't, this is how I do it. <laughs> I'm Walter Parks. Yeah. I get in there. I get into the story. And so I don't know. It it was, I kind of see both prisms of this. It seems like a troubled production. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into it. But it, it seems to me like the product of everyone trying to make a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And not like any one party's ego gone rampant. Right. Right. I don't know, though. Uh, Let's talk about it for sure. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things, you know, about, about the movie, and I guess we're, we're, are we, are we diving into like the breakdown now? Let's in, do it in terms of like, you know, what we thought of it and everything else. I guess, Cass, we should start with you. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you came into this being a fan of these two mm-hmm. and their, their chemistry in, in Ragnarok, and I, I assume to a much lesser extent, <laughs> Endgame. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, what did you end up, you know, at the end of this, watching this movie, like, what did you end up coming away with, you know, feeling about it? Well, after listening to all of that, I'm honestly impressed that it even came out at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not the worst thing I've ever seen. I enjoyed it while I was watching it. I still think that they have really, really good chemistry with each other. And I'm really glad that they didn't like push like a romance angle Mm -hmm. i don't know that i've ever seen a movie that tries so hard you know like Mm -hmm. 
I don't I don't know how to like phrase it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Like it tries so hard to kind of do like recapture, I guess, like that initial uh, yeah, cuz it's like a reboot. So but it 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 falls so short and it's kind of sad, mm-hmm. but it wasn't I wasn't angry at any point I was watching mm-hmm. it. Like it mm-hmm. I it made me laugh. So that, That's good. You know. Oh. <laughs> The movie is just sort of nothing. Like, I can't be mad at it. Yeah. You know, it's not a bad movie. It's just extremely forgettable. Like, it's the kind of thing where, like, you watch it, and by the time you get to the parking lot, you forgot you saw it. Just because there's nothing about it that's particularly memorable. I think that they make a lot of fundamental mistakes with the with 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 the the way they rebooted this that takes away from what makes the franchise special i think that the choice to flip the wild card rookie and the the, the, veteran. the veteran with that's just like very by the book veteran um and flipping that so that you have a by the book rookie and a and a wild card veteran i think is a really interesting way to do it i don't think that it's in the right direction I think that it the move the whole movie would have been so much more interesting if Chris Evans was M or Chris God I did it again Chris Hemsworth <laughs> was M and Tessa Thompson was uh, H just because like they're you're just doing J and and K again but mm-hmm. like just flipping their vibes mm-hmm. and like I guess that's fine but like it just feels weird that like the black character is the rookie every time that feels weird yeah yeah yeah. And I'm also like my other main thought on it was like I'm really tired of movies about like white dudes failing upwards. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's Karen... written into the plot with this one. Yeah, um, no. <laughs> yeah. Like they literally How does they this have a boob keep getting <laughs> Yeah. They have a literal <laughs> explanation for it. But but, right. it, but it is, but you're right. And it is but it, but that that's the thing, right? It's not like Hemsworth is that much older than Tessa Thompson that it's like, oh, the veteran. Mm-hmm. It's like they're basically the same age, if not like literally the same age. And yet she's the rookie and he's the veteran. And that doesn't make any sense to me. But even if you even if, even thinking about like someone like John Hamm or George Clooney. Yeah. Where there's just a little bit like closer to where when you see him because the movie opens with him and Liam Neeson as partners. Right. And even mm-hmm. that's a little kind of J and K. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, I appreciate the flip. I just don't think that they flipped it enough. Yeah. Well, it's it's like the the difference between Men in Black and Men in Black International in terms of casting is I think the channel could go back in the 97. I imagine that, like, the a poster where Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones are, like, teaming up to fight aliens. It's mm-hmm. like, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. That's so weird and out of left field. Mm-hmm. But this is already, like, cop trying to capture this the success of something else right which is oh these two were really cool and like had fun chemistry and ragnarok mm-hmm. let's see if we can capture that again and, while also trying to capture the magic of the original movie yeah <laughs> yeah and hemsworth is such a good actor mm-hmm. like i think i'd I legit think he's like the best part of those last two avengers movies mm-hmm. but he's just thor again in this yeah it would have been cool if he was like the by the book guy and tessa thompson was like the rock and roll veteran like you said because yep at least that would be surprising the audience, right? And giving them a reason to go. I think a reason. I think the reason this underperformed is a lot of people felt the way you did, Scott. Which is like, I don't feel a reason to rush out and go see this. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There isn't uh, like a, a X factor. Yeah. I also think um, there is an element of like the lack of '60s aesthetic in this 
like rather than the retro future thing that the first three movies did that Sonnenfeld pushed for um, in the art direction in everything, this movie instead is like it just iPhones everything mm-hmm. kind of including the villains, which I think are really bland villains. Mm-hmm. They, there's no personality to them. You know, we're back in a similar vibe to um, Lara Flynn Boyle in the second movie, except where it's just like they're just. Care, just, they just exist. Yeah, they're just a thing. And but even she's more interesting than they are, I think, because at least like she looks interesting. I guess in terms of like you know she's got her like beehive hair and you know it's she kind of has like that Bruce Tim silhouette. Yeah, kinda, yeah, like, yeah, for sure. Whereas these guys are just like they have lines. Yeah, right. They don't even have lines. They don't even talk. So I don't love that, and I don't. So like there's so many MIB agents, right, in this. Mm-hmm. Um and and one of the things that really bugs me about them is like, well, we have to make them all like look different and stick out. And so you'll see like a hipster MIB agent where he's got like a big like lo- like you know, like man bun hair thing and he's got this cra- crazy stuff and he's in a men in black suit and I'm like that defeats the purpose of the men in black. You're not right. supposed, You're not to, supposed stand to stand out. out. Yeah. Yeah. But she and literally like, says so, it in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's like literally there's a literal like fundamental misunderstanding of this franchise and how it's supposed to work on play in basically every frame of this movie. And, and that bothers me a lot. It gets a few things right. You know, like Beard Alien. Really? That's that's a men in black. That's that's some good men in black shit, I think. <laughs> Yeah, you know, watching this a second time and also watching it in the context of like having just watched the other three and this is like the end of the franchise, the season or whatever. Yeah, so far. I I actually found found myself appreciating a few things that I didn't because I walked out of this movie like legit angry. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. Because I had all the nostalgic memories of Men in Black, you know, like I remember being like really smart and cool and inspired me to like want to make movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. And now I hadn't watched it in a while. Yeah. And I can see that what I like about this one is it feel you can sense the connected tissue. Mm-hmm. I can it feels like an extension of the Men in Black franchise, not like a complete like refusal and rebuttal and just like a whole new thing. Yeah. Little things like I like how there's multiple alien agents at the New York office now. Yeah. To go from it being like a throwaway joke in the first one of like, oh, we're starting a new alien agent program. And now there's just like walking around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> Bringing back Emma Thompson as O, I think that's cool. We keep talking about how there should be like a Men in Black HBO Max series yeah. after this. And I'm like, you know, this isn't like my favorite one. This might even be my least favorite one, but I wouldn't like erase it. Mm. It still feels like it's connected to it. And like, I would like to see H&M again if, yeah. in the future. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it still feels Men in Black, even though it feels like really kind of watered down kind of generic summer blockbuster men in black mm-hmm. it feels like the amazing spider-man to the original films like raimi trilogy sure where those had like a lot of personality and then you get to amazing spider-man and it's just devoid of personality it's so much the product <laughs> of its time yeah yeah where it feels like it was made in a lab no yeah right yeah it does feel <laughs> like it was made in a lab for sure i i, I agree with you i would like to see h&m again like, like I remember thinking it kind of it's interesting you mentioned cast. This is like a lot more kid friendly than the original one. Yeah. Which is like scary and has like really horrific scenes of violence. Mm-hmm. And the aliens in this are in the book like stated to be designed to be cute and bright and fun mm-hmm. and not scary and not gross. Yeah. Like the Rick Baker aliens. I don't like that. No. 
but I can imagine like I kept thinking I can imagine like meeting a 21 year old 10 years from now and they them being like oh yeah when I was like eight I loved the Men in Black International movie and like I thought Tessa Thompson was like cool and Chris Hemsworth but like yeah I really did miss any practical effects whatsoever Mm. and there's an interesting quote about that the special effects guy Jeremy Woodhead he had this like interesting quote where he said that he wanted all the aliens to be humanoid. Mm. He was quote bound to the human shape where they had to have two arms, two legs. And we see this in the movie where like the Vungus, most of the aliens are just like humans with CG smudge on their face. Yeah. Right. And it turns out that was like by design, like a lot of aliens you see walking around headquarters are just static kind of practical heads that they entrusted wedded digital to like bring to life digitally in post and so you get a lot of like generic kind of unmemorable aliens that are just shapes yeah and like scott was saying like you you i really miss even the passing characters and rick baker men in black world yeah that's uh that that's that's like weird that's one of the worst creative like things i've ever heard but of- i but now i, I was I, I thought exactly that yeah but now i'm like i wonder how much of that was the budget yeah maybe i don't know but- i don't know because how much cheaper is cgi versus practical effects uh, yeah and how much does the, sh- the, ch- the the choice to be bound by the human shape how much of that is budgetary and how much of that is like like you said like a weird creative choice yeah because like that's the thing is like okay well let's get into it so so we start <laughs> off we start off with the with the cold open paris 2016 we're in the eiffel tower h and t high t uh, not yet high t i don't think he's high t yet yeah i think he's just t h and t go up into the eiffel tower they run into a proposal they neuralize them for next to no. They only neuralize them because they tell them stuff, which is so stupid. <laughs> and then tell them to go propose, you know, first in the elevator and then later on the floor because uh, he they have to be neuralized. So again. H has kind of a J style where he does like to leave them better than when he found them. Yeah. And he also gets knocked around a lot. Des Thompson never gets knocked around, I don't think, mm-hmm. in this. I, I think at most she's in that fight, but that's mm-hmm. kind of the only time. Hemsworth gets thrown around a lot, uh, a little bit more like Will Smith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll just like have a big fun physical, like whoa, like yeah. cricket. He also gets to do some wire work, like K. But <laughs> so we this uh, like abruptly cuts off this scene for reasons that become clear later in the movie. We cut weirdly from 2016 <laughs> to 20 years previously. I don't know why we didn't start with this scene. <laughs> so, right. So we were like, wait, 20 years from, from now? Or when the, oh, 26? Okay. Yeah, so we're in 1996, <laughs> despite the fact that Molly's parents are, are dressing like they're in the 80s. In the 80s, yeah. Is, yeah, this is supposedly 1996. <laughs> Young Molly is going to sleep, but her... Parents find an alien creature. They try to call the cops. The men in black show up and they're like, oh, yeah, that's an alien. We're going to neuralize you as anyone else in the house. And they're like, our kids asleep upstairs. She's seeing this whole thing unfold, sees her parents get neuralized, meets the little alien creature who uh, leaves her with not a, not a life debt, but like a death debt or something. Yeah. <laughs> a and murder debt. And let's talk about this little dude. Yeah. He's kind of an early indicator of the vibe this movie has. Yeah. Where he's got like big old cute eyes mm-hmm. and he's like compu- completely an- computer animated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I like I like his 
the coloring and everything. Yeah. He's really cute. I mean, yes. you know, and and I like the Men in Black being like, yeah, he's cute now, but these things turn into monsters when they're older. And you're like, oh, okay, that's neat, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> she's like, oh my god, aliens are real. Yeah. So so this starts her obsession with the Men in Black and getting involved in all of this, and then we get. This sort of she um, gets accepted into every intelligence program. Yeah, that's how good she is, right? Yeah. So they're going to offer her a job at the FBI until she mentions the Men in Black, and they're like, "Okay, weirdo, get out of here." Same thing with the CIA, and then we find out that she works in tech support, which is like kind of fun, I guess. Uh, honestly, kind of the movie's vibe in general is, that's yeah, what you just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's kind of fun, I guess. So like, but th- what's interesting about this tech support room is it reminds me a lot of like. Some a lot of scenes in the Barry Sonnenfeld stuff. It's the it's the scene that captures the Barry Sonnenfeld vibe. I think more than any other scene in the movie because it's a bunch of weirdos doing a normal thing, but being like at an eleven weirdo, right? And you're like, okay, how many of these dudes are aliens, right? Uh, like, yeah, you know, like it has that vibe to it in the way that like Jeeves has that yeah, vibe. And you the, know, the the set has that same kind of Bo Welch ironic production design of giving you a mood it's just slanted it's just stylized yeah yeah while still feeling kind of generic like like your jurassic world or yeah. what have you <laughs> the same way that like rooms in an, in an adams family movie are like aggressively drab yes yes absolutely and then she's done a bunch of super smart stuff off camera yeah she hacked the hubble telescope yeah and is chasing that home and now she's like okay it looks like it's going to land yeah. really nearby my house. There's an asteroid that's like moving, not like an asteroid. Right. She finds a uh, tabloid front page that an, uh, uh, an alien named Larry is coming home. Right. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm coming, coming home, baby. I'm coming home, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes and she finds this like sort of camouflage force field, walks through it, and then that's where she finds the crashed ship. The alien and the can, men in black. Can I celebrate a, a joke that I noticed that I don't think then the tabloid I mentioned that has this very generic tabloid green alien shape. Yeah. And then when as he's getting arrested, he looks exactly like the photograph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> but yeah. Then she uses the taxi to follow the men in black back to their headquarters, puts on a men in black suit, mm-hmm. walks in like she owns the place. And the dude in the chair is like, OK, yeah, whatever. And then as soon as she's in, Frank the pug is like. You're going to call that in or what? He, she, he's like, yeah, amateur hour. And then like um, calls it in. Frank looked terrible. Yeah. Oh, he looked awful. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even think it was a real dog. Oh, God. I, I'm pretty sure it was just a fully CG yeah. dog. Fully and, CG pug. And now learning what I know now about Mushu and how much he brought, how much he brought it to the first two movies. It, yeah. it seems borderline insulting. Yeah. Yeah. It really did. It's not good. Um, what's he doing there why is he hanging out there in his little bed like a dog he's not a dog he's an an alien yeah he's an alien (laughs) and he's an MIB agent and this is bullshit the disrespect also why the hell did Jay have a big portrait of him in his apartment if he's not dead (laughs) just like I got a giant portrait of this of this dog alien who's my friend (laughs) yeah so what was meant to be like a loving tribute to a dog actor who passed away is now like an awkward continuity error. <laughs> yeah. Aww. Oh man. So she gets uh she gets sent down uh the elevator, meets O, is gonna get neuralized and talks O into letting her at least like try to join. And then she's quickly a man in black. And at this point <laughs> in the movie, 
we are 15 minutes in and she's a men in black getting her assignment to London. It's like, I'm not sure if the same could be said in men in black one. If it's like between the chase and him meeting Kay and Jeebs and him being an agent, that might be 15 minutes, but think about what happens in those 15 minutes. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 That's, that's my thing is like, you get so much more story in the opening 15 minutes of the first men in black versus this one which is just kind of telling you yeah it's just telling you it's just racing through it where it where it's also like you know if we flipped these right and and chris hemsworth was molly (laughs) or whatever his name would (laughs) be (laughs) and you know he looks like chris hemsworth right and so you're like are you kidding me that a guy that looks like that is in tech support and is like this big nerd but then it's like you could add an extra element of him like staying in insane shape because he wants to be a man in black mm. so bad. You know, mm-hmm. like there's a way to explain yeah. it away. Or like the only cool thing that Molly does is just like hop in a cab and like trail. A car. Like she <laughs> she does the coolest stuff before the movie starts. Yeah. It would have been really cool to see her be like almost even like Chloe Bennett at the beginning of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where she's like a hacker. Yeah. And she like has all this like, oh, she doesn't need to. I don't know. Like they could have done more to show her being. What if they found her? Like there's a line. There's a line where O is like, how did we not catch her when she hacked the the Hubble telescope? And I'm like, yeah, that's a really (laughs) good question. Like that would have been a great moment for you to meet her is when you the men in black catch her hacking into the Hubble telescope, you know, be like. She hacks, she's like, I'm in. And then there's a knock on her door and it's a man in black. Remember that crazy scene in Sherlock where Moriarty like steals the jewels or whatever and he just does it all on his phone? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Not that makes sense. Uh, I don't know. The script is like super paint by the numbers, which I think is one of the most disappointing parts of it. Because like, yeah, like you said, like nothing stands out. And her like like hacking into the Hubble telescope like on her break while she's on her tech support job would have been so much more interesting than like I don't know sticking her face through the force field or whatever you know yeah mm-hmm. it really feels like Parks in his rewrite just took all the personality out of it you know I mean I don't know mm-hmm. I didn't read that original script but I can't imagine that they didn't write a better script if it's the one that got everyone that, attached to it sure the mm-hmm. Tess Thompson was like oh I'll do this yeah yeah because it really feels like her and and Hemsworth's dialogue coaches or dialogue whatever, dialogue scripters, it feels like they were there to overwrite Parks' stuff that probably felt more generic. Because, I don't know, I've seen War Games, the movie's not very good. <laughs> you know, I get it, it's a classic, but like, everyone in that is hella generic. Things like Molly being like super well-prepared type a mm-hmm. or hemsworth being addicted to sex addicted to i don't uh, know vice yeah. kind Maybe. of drowning his his lack of an identity in sexy escapades right <laughs> sexy escapades speaking of those sexy escapades right yeah yeah we uh we we return to agent h in a high stakes undercover gambling thing which you have to like grab a card from a vase full of snakes yeah yeah i that was actually kind of cool like i actually like that i was like oh that's that's fun that's like (laughs) that's like a fun like i get the game instantly it's an idea yeah yeah like i get the game instantly like it's instantly like you need to pull a card out and like what cards you have that determines who wins i Mm -hmm. think that's cool it's a cool idea it's a cool introduction to a men in black character and also undercover, which we've never seen before. Yeah, we've never seen. We've never even seen a Men in Black dude like not in his suit. 
how do we how do we not get a men in black undercover right yeah how is that not one of these movies that mm-hmm. could have been 23 jump street yeah oh man <laughs> there you go boom yeah you saw you did what all those freaking millionaires yeah oh man <laughs> they have to men in black people. undercover there it is but yeah, and so he's like doing something. It's more like James Bond kind of stuff where mm-hmm. there's like there's a lot of that. Oh, there's always one alien in the scene. Yeah. And a bunch of humans, yeah. which is so not men in black to me. No. Well, I, mean, I think it's I think it's what you're talking about with the, the budgetary budget, yeah. restraints. But that's the thing is like if they would just lean into the practical, I think you can do more with practical effects for less than wholesale creating a a character out of cgi Mm -hmm. you know i just think it was a mistake if you're gonna do everything humanoid then why wouldn't you keep it makeup with practical effects yeah Yeah. like that doesn't make any sense because yeah because like this the game de-escalates and there's like one alien crime boss but he's just like and his girlfriend and his girlfriend but they're just bond characters with like alien face alien hands and that's Mm -hmm. largely my issue it feels like the pitch by parks was like we're gonna make a james bond men in black that's what this feels like the whole time well that kind of actually that does go further back holloway and mark markham they com- they compared if like the first few were cop dramas they wanted this to be like quote an international spy thriller oh yeah i don't like that's not men in black yes you yeah. know you could yeah and, and that's something to be said and like and f gary gray took that and ran with it and that's why there's so many like vistas in this movie. So right. Like, okay. Well, if it's a spy thriller, every spy thriller, you have like these big sweeping vistas. So we need ocean. We need desert. We need city. Yeah. But you know, you know what else spy thrillers have? The best spy thrillers. They took place in the 60s, which is the whole vibe of Men in Black. <laughs> there's a way of doing this that would have felt actually what they wanted and still felt like Men in Black. But instead, because they got F. Gary Gray, who had just done a basically a spy thriller with F8. Mm-hmm. He's just recreating that vibe here without the I don't know I don't know what I don't know how to explain the tone of a Fast and Furious movie but like I know yeah there's a scene in that movie that we're talking about Cass where the Rock turns a torpedo around with his bare hands shut up not yeah it makes it makes it shoot the other way yes. shut up <laughs> yes yes so you know what uh, and and and, Sh- and Charlize Theron has has dreads i mean you know who, who which was an idea from her assistant yeah. apparently <laughs> so right, right before they quit yeah i don't know anyway. uh I, yeah That's so fun. so i have i have issues with the tone of this yeah sure like it's it's it, it's a choice and i think that choice was sony needed a franchise yeah and here was an opportunity to really blow the doors off and make this peculiar singular thing a big multi-continent action-adventure franchise. Yeah. And yeah, and this this was kind of the result of that. You know, I really like that they went out to a black director because that's probably not who you would think they would go out to for a a movie like this, right? Mm -hmm. Especially coming off of Sonnenfeld, you'd think that they would go after somebody similar in 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 a similar lane as Sonnenfeld creatively. But like, I just think that F. Gary Gray, who feels like a workman's director, you know, like, I don't know that he has like a, like a distinct style to his direction, the way that like, you know, Spike Lee does where you're like, watch a Spike Lee movie and you're like, Oh, that's a Spike Lee movie. I know what that is. But like, why didn't they go out to someone like, and maybe, maybe they did and he just wasn't interested. But like, I just think about like, what would a Jordan Peele men in black movie look like, you know, or cause you know, I know he's only done <laughs> horror movies, but like that, but the he's kind of Rod Serling kind of twilight zone. Sci-fi. Right. But, but he's, 
also done tons of comedy, you know. Mm. So it's and, and his movies are funny. His horror movies yeah, are funny. That that kind of singular point of view yes. that, that Barry Sonnefeld brought to the Men in Black series. Yes, and that you know, like there's a weird, there's a uh, I, 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 we can get to it during the walkthrough, but there's a weird Donald Glover joke in Men in Black yeah. International, and like he would have been great. I don't, you know, that yeah. kind of weird surreal humor. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Commentary talking about our world, but also kind of being like absurd, right? Yeah, Donald Glover as as H would have been great. <laughs> um, that I I feel like that would have been that would have been a cooler vibe than than um even Hemsworth has. And well, <laughs> cool what, vibes though. You want to do you want to say what happens next to Hemsworth in the movie after in the middle of his card game? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, him him getting uh, uh, outed and bit by the snake and has to sleep with the alien He'll dude's do girlfriend. anything not to die of a snake poison, Scott and Cass. <sighs> yeah. That's the thing that made She has a laugh. tentacle. <laughs> he oh, had, really? Yeah. She has a tentacle arm. It, was, it, was it the cut to them in bed like, uh-huh. the morning after? Yeah. Yeah. And funny. him like taking the suction, the suction thing <laughs> off of his chest. <laughs> poop, 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 poop. And um, the script H was uh, written to be kind of a Mo- Roger Moore Bond inspired. Oh, yeah, that doesn't play. Okay, hmm. by the time we get to Hemsworth, I don't think mm-hmm. he just feels sort of um, Hemsworthy. Hemsworthy, yeah, like he just feels like right directly in the middle of his character in Ghostbusters and Thor. Yeah, like, just right down the middle of those two characters. Yeah, um, it really very, makes very... you appreciate both of those characters more. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Where where does he fit in terms of extraction? Because I haven't seen that. Oh, Tyler Rake's a monster. Okay. Tyler Rake. He's got a lot in common with like Wolverine. Oh, okay. Not what I would have expected from Hemsworth. Okay, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool performance from him. All right. Fair enough. I still need to see it. Uh, he tosses a kid into a van like a baseball. So here's another <laughs> fundamental misunderstanding of the franchise that happens here in this next bit. So M gets her assignment. She's going to London to like you know get her her what's that what's that probation time? yeah yeah it's probation but what's that time where like before you can become a doctor like scrubs like where you're still oh, yeah in school but like not a doctor but yeah mm-hmm. she's in that period and you're, she's gonna go do that residency right. she's gonna go do a residency in london right wow when you say it like that yeah <laughs> yeah right so she she gets on a on a subway hyperloop like, uh, yeah but it's like a transformer it like transforms yeah. into like this Super advanced, like high speed underground train, and fully upholstered. By the way, <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Okay, looks great. Yeah, it does. But like, why wouldn't they share technology like this with the rest of the world? It would literally change the world, and that is one of the fundamental misunderstandings that this movie has about this franchise. When you go to the other movies, every other amazing technology they have is stuff like. Weapons, which, okay, we don't want to share those because right. for one, no. And for two, we need to have like an upper hand as this agency. We need to have an upper hand on, you know, regular guns, right? So we need to have these things. Then two, neuralizers. Those have a very specific purpose mm-hmm. for our agency, right? And then three, the red button in the car. Right. And that's just so that we can skip over traffic and get from point A to point B faster, because what we're worrying about is way more important than what anyone else is worrying about. Right. So those are the three pieces of technology that you don't share. Everything else, like there's literally a scene in the first Men in Black where Kay talks about how 
they sell patents for all of these alien technology and that's what keeps their budget for the agency, right? That's where they make all of their money is like selling these patents. And so they are capable of sharing this technology. And he's like, yeah, that's where CDs came from. You know, that, you know, that's where a lot of this technology comes from. from. Right. (laughs) And so it's weird that they have, and then the only other technology that they don't, that they have that they don't share is time travel, which is in the third one. And there's lots of reasons that they go into why they don't share that technology. And in fact, they've made it illegal on earth because it's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. And that's literally how they describe it. They're like, no, Time travel is a nightmare. We're not sharing it. And that's really smart, right? But every other technology that they have, they share with everybody, whether it's, you know, within like five or 10 years, but they share it. Mm -hmm. And yet they have this world changing technology, this high speed train. I mean, we don't know for sure how long it took, but like from the movie standpoint, it seems like it took like less than 30 minutes, right? From her to get from New York to London. Mm -hmm. That's world altering technology that would only benefit everyone and they don't share it. And that is baffling to me Mm. in a way that I think fundamentally breaks the MIB as like, you know what they stand for. Now they're just hoarding technology and that's not cool. I don't know. It, I, uh, I feel it, very strongly about this. <laughs> it. It uh, cheats the audience out of that thing where it's like a little plane flying from New York to London. You get like the little red trail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. Way better. Instead, we get the underwater, like, blue line yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It it just, it, 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 I think it all just points to them sort of losing the thread on what makes these movies special. And I think a large part of that is Parks, who believes he is the author of these movies. Like, I am respond. I am the I am the guardian and the gatekeeper of this franchise. I know what a Men in Black movie is, and this is what it is. And I just think he's lost the thread over time. and And I hope that if he produces another one of these, and I'm sure that he will, that he sort of takes this movie to reflect on that and kind of reset a little mm. bit because I think he needs to. I think he needs that reset because I think he's lost what makes Men in Black special. Sure, or or like or Sony's need to make this a big, like blockbuster action franchise. But it's always been to the that. point where, sure, but yeah, but it was also like contained. Uh huh. You know, like uh, uh, the so when Molly emerges from the hyperloop, she comes out into the uh, Men in Black London office, right? And uh, there was an interesting note about like so the concept behind the uh, London offices were that it's actually a century older than the New York office. Oh. And that the men in black didn't start in New York. Now it started overseas in Europe. Oh, um, the Eiffel tower is the Ellis Island of the men in black universe. Oh. That's something that Liam Neeson says at the very beginning where it's like, Oh, back in the 1600s when they built the Eiffel, the Eiffel built the tower. That light was so tall. The aliens would come down and there's like these photographs. Of, <laughs> you kind of, that's my Liam Neeson impression. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, there's like photographs of like 19th century aliens immigrating to Paris in men in black headquarters. And so it's another bit of reconstruction where it didn't start with, K being like, oh, you oh, you gave that big, the nice man some flowers, you know? Mm-hmm. And it kind of, I have mixed feelings about it where, like, I like that it's like a hinky, like, gre- like faded, greasy New York office because there's only a few hundred aliens living in, mostly in New York City. Right. As said by Rip Torn. Making it this big multi-continent operation feels like it would make it cooler, but it kind of leads to 
it, it kind of diluting a little bit, like butter spread over too much bread. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it almost feels like it, they should have kept it. I, I understand the instinct of wanting to go Men in Black International. I mean, global box office is being what it is, right? It just seems like a layup, like a big fun yeah. thriller idea. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. But <laughs> but I feel like going in the direction that they went, which is retconning, is not the right choice. I feel like it would have been better if it's like New York Men in Black office realizing that something is going on internationally. And then by the end of the movie, they start the MIB, like international office, the, ah. the London office or the Paris office yeah. or what have you. Are we at the scene where we meet high T and agency? I don't think so. Okay. No. First we go to Marrakesh and the janitor gets melted and then the twins become the janitor. Yeah. So the twins. Yeah. As mentioned earlier, the villains are originally a Beatles inspired like rock band. Yeah. Eventually for reasons they were whittled down to, okay, we're going to make one villain. So there was a story meeting. The screenwriters and F. Gary Gray were like, and Walter Parks and Lloyd McDonald were like, how are we going to do this? F. Gary Gray was like, oh, I, I know some guys. The twins, or Les Twins, are a French dancing sensation mm. that F. Gary Gray, being also a, a prolific music video director, was familiar with Les Twins and had wanted to work with them for years. So he was like, well, what if instead of one villain, it, they were like, they became twins? And so he pulled out his phone and showed footage of the twins dancing on YouTube. And they were like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> huh. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. Fair enough. So you can't say this movie has no F. Gary Gray ideas in it. That's good. <laughs> I guess that's that's something. I, I will say, you know, I don't like I don't like them as characters because they aren't characters. I do like the design of like their weird like galaxy liquid that happens to them. Mm -hmm. Galaxy electricity they can, like change matter yeah yeah i think that that looks really cool i will i will give them that i don't know that it feels like men in black to me but outside of that i think it looks cool it's a, it's a cool look so then they the the twins then end up in that shop and they go in the back and that's where we see all the little guys uh and we meet camille nanjiani as uh, pawnee as pawnee although he doesn't have that name yet he's just a pawn mm -hmm. at this point and this is this is another issue that I have with the movie that is like a fundamental issue. All of the aliens, all of them are just unaltered voices of the voice actors. And so it's just Kumail Nanjiani being Kumail Nanjiani talking into a microphone, but he's this little alien dude. They, they don't alter his voice in any way. They don't make him sound alien. He's just Kumail Nanjiani. And the same thing happens later with Vungus. The Vungus Among Us? Yeah, Vungus <laughs> is just a dude's voice. And it's just, it, it's every alien we meet in this that isn't like a snarling beast is just like a guy's natural voice talking through, like it, it happened in the card game. Right. Mm -hmm. Like her voice was just a person's voice. His voice was just a person's voice. And it's it's across the board. Every alien doesn't sound like an alien. They just sound like a human being talking through a CGI alien. And it bugged me. <laughs> it really bugged me. <laughs> yeah. No, we'll, we'll get into Pawnee a little later. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they slaughter all of these little guys um, as <laughs> Yeah. Just total murked. So oh, there's the whole, whole lot of Queen's them. Gambit. Yep. No the whole mercy. Queen's Gambit. <laughs> so then this is where we learn about uh, MIB international mythology. And we learn about uh, the time that H&T took on the hive. Nothing that, but their wits and like level five 
Atomizers. Atomizers, yeah. And why H is uh, considered such a hero. This is where we get that weird slow-mo joke where that alien can like slow-mo also also has a very normal voice. Also mm-hmm. the guy with the glasses, mm-hmm. very normal voice. Just just a regular person. <laughs> what did we think about the slow-mo lady? That joke. I think it went on too long. Yeah. <laughs> I was it was like, awkward. Yeah. I I think you could I think you could probably cut like at least 10 minutes out of this movie just in little moments like that that are like they don't really work as jokes. Yeah. And they don't really add anything really cuz it's it's already pretty short. It's like I don't know, it's like just over 100 minutes. So It's you know, it's almost 2 hours. Is it? Yeah, it's, it's like, like 118 it's like, minutes. It's like not quite 2 hours. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 the longest Men in Black movie by like 15 minutes or mm. something like that. Yeah. I just don't think that joke worked. Like, yeah, we get it. He's hot. I, I, like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then and then H rolls into that meeting with agency that you were talking about. Yeah. And uh, so enter agency played by a Cornetto trilogy veteran. Is Rafi Spall? Yeah. I always get I always get the Andes mixed up because it's Rafi Spall and Patty Considine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Rafi Spall. Spall. Okay, yeah. damn it. I really like seeing this. I mean, I liked how he was a red herring, mm-hmm. but like if you were paying attention during his dialogue, which I wasn't the first time I watched uh-huh. this movie, he does a lot of cool world building. Where like he's there's a part where Liam Neeson's like, hey, uh, you have to take care of Fungus when he's like here, help him get laid, help him. He wants to like, and so he's like, is this what we do now? Like. <laughs> We used to protect the earth from the scum of the universe, and now we're, like, taking them to, like, party. And I kind of like how this does take place 20 years after Jay. We kind of see how it's become this different thing. I did appreciate that. I did, too, but I don't like how racist this dude is. Like, this dude hates aliens. Big X vibes. Yeah, he thinks they're icky and uh, (laughs) wants to blow them up. Uh, And Um, I I didn't love that. I don't know. Also, missed opportunity, I think, because of his glasses. Agency has glasses, mm-hmm. and he has, like, a cool vibe, I think, just a look. and The classic I, G-Man kind of vibe. Yes, but I think you're doing, you're trying to do a James Bond riff in this. You're trying to do an espionage thing. Why is he not MIB's Q? That would have been Ooh. dope. An MIB Q wow. would have been, right? Wow. Yeah, because they're all about gadgets. They're God. all about all this alien tech. Just like... Hemsworth taking like M down to like C agency their Q and he's like a centipede yeah yeah or whatever and he's just like <laughs> showing off like the new tech that they're gonna take on their oh, next hello. like mission that this rules the cricket. how do you not yeah how does no one on this not have that scene immediately come to mind when they're like James Bond men in black like how? later later on like Agent M and Agency are in like a tech area like yeah. looking over tech together before yeah. agent h shows up again and i'm just like yeah that makes sense that makes sense why god it, why isn't there a quartermaster yeah oh man that'd be so great anyway i think my problem is just they didn't hit the james bond thing hard enough yeah they should have went harder on it yeah, yeah like really yeah. have fun with it yeah this does have one the, i think the one time i laughed out loud with the movie was there's like a bit of improv between rafe spall where he like calls Chris Hemsworth like daddy special boy. <laughs> yeah. And Hemsworth's like, you wish you had a daddy. You don't have a daddy. And I'm like, okay, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's more of this. <laughs> okay. So then we go. So M convinces H to bring her along on a mission. Uh, oh yeah. Mission. I want to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, real quick. 
I don't think they have a lot of chemistry in this, which sucks because like I know that they could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they're characters. Yeah. But I really admired how the movie was smart enough to like shoot past that really hacky like a girl is my partner right like i don't know i just liked how immediately h was like oh you seem like super on your shit and i really need that right now so you're gonna (laughs) be my partner well i i i think it's a little bit of that but i also think he's kind of testing her because Mm, later he's just like he's like yeah i knew you didn't know this like the language and all of this like yeah yeah and so so he's more i think trying to put her in her place a little bit like you know you rookie like you 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 got a training day with fungus now yeah yeah but like imagine that same dynamic but reverse it so that tessa is playing h and and he's playing m it's so much better. It's just so much better. I don't know. <laughs> Tessa Thompson pimping off Chris Hemsworth, the fungus. <laughs> yes. Hell yes. See that? Yeah. I believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, there's a weird line where Chris Hemsworth says that in the nightclub they go to, the humans want to look like aliens, and the aliens want to look like humans. And that's a line that almost kind of explains the weird alien stuff that we were talking about mm. where the aliens are weirdly humanoid yeah fun fact they just went to a bunch of shops on on dover street and just bought a bunch of alien clothes and just passed them out to the extras mm-hmm. yeah that sounds about right it's it that that scene sucks um and and it's just because like one the set is just like like a hallway like it, look, it looks like just like built under a bridge or whatever and it's just like it's very narrow it's not particularly cinematic looking. I mean, that makes sense because of F. Gary Gray being a music video director. That's what it reminds me of is it reminds me of like a late 90s music video. Right. Mm. I'm not into it. I'm not into it. And there's not enough cool, fun aliens. That... Yeah, like if you hear Men in Black London Alien Nightclub. Yeah. This is, what yeah. the hell is this? This is it. <laughs> the DJ is just a normal human DJ. Yeah. It's not even like an octopus. Right. It should be an of, octopus right. with like turntables. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Occam's man. razor, people. Yeah. It could have just been the lady with the tentacle arms from earlier. She, like, <laughs> you know, is a DJ at night. I do this at night. Yeah. And just, like, <laughs> you know, throws H a wink or something. Yeah. yeah. Boom. I don't know. Yeah, we're- I like like that would have been a perfect moment too because she's literally like, "Are you pimping me out?" And he and he like looks over, sees her, she winks, and he's like, "Hey, look, sometimes we got to do what we got to do." <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, like, no, it's like a this- built-in joke. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There are opportunities here. Oh boy, I think fungus fungus yeah. has. I just think he has a real bummer. I don't know. I'm just always thrown by how sad this dude's last half hour of life are. Yeah, he's got a real bummer energy. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Doesn't go quietly. He gets like poison darted in the neck mm-hmm. and then his car blows up and then he dies like slowly, upside, slowly dies upside down hanging <laughs> in a car Yeah, while desperately trying to find someone to trust. Help. <laughs> Fungus. No. Yeah. And then and doing like seat gyrating in the background. That was one of the funnier moments for me. It was like he was doing the seat gyrating thing where they cut over to him, but then every time they shot coverage of Tessa Thompson over her shoulder, he's just back there still gyrating in, in the music. <laughs> doing like pelvic thrusts. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh man. But yeah, the twins attack Mungus. Mm-hmm. Blow up his car. Oh, so the car thing is interesting. So there's a part where H drives like a Jaguar and it like every shelf, every cranny, every window of the car that he slides out has like a gun. Mm-hmm. And the trick of that sequence, to according to the designers, wasn't putting the guns in. It was that they wanted the actors to be able to practically pull them out. 
Oh. They they wanted that to be real. Okay. And that was tricky. So the they, one time. Yes. So <laughs> we want this one thing to be real. Yeah. So remember the cake from Men in Black Three? Yeah. Right. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. So okay. what they did was they took a chainsaw to this jag and tore it to pieces and put the guns in it and then rebuilt it around that. Oh, okay. Interesting. That's pretty cool. What do you think um, of that, Cass? That hurts my soul a little. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that sequence where they're just where they're just like continuously pulling out bigger and yes. bigger guns. Yeah. And I love that Tessa Thompson is the one that ends up with the biggest gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That they're just covering for each other as the other person gets the next biggest gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's one of the few times that the movie really feels like, like a Men in Black movie. Yes, I yeah. agree with that completely. That sequence was fun. So uh, I want to talk about the just twins for a quick second. So they're known for spontaneous dancing, where they just react to the music that they're performing with. They don't choreograph in advance. Mm-hmm. So there's this kind of a sad quote where uh, Wade Eastwood, the, like the stunt guy, was like, well, we didn't want him to dance because that'd be silly. So like... <laughs> They're just kind of, they would react to stuff and just shoot them doing it. It kind of sounds like the way that a lot of people shoot martial artists, mm. where rather than having like, or, or dancing in general, where instead of like fluid movements, they just kind of chop it up. Mm-hmm. And so it just seemed kind of like a waste to me to hire these two incredible dancers and not yeah. incorporate dancing into their... There was a lot of hires on this movie that was a waste. <laughs> it wasn't just them. Okay. So, so Mungus dies. The twins get away. Yeah. Mungus realizes that he can trust Tessa Thompson. His arms glow purple. Yeah. Gives gives him gives her the little like case thing that looks like the pre-made ribbons that you like sticker onto presents. You buy like a big <laughs> bag of them, you know? That's yeah. what it looks like. And she like hides it because he's like, you can't trust there's something wrong. Someone's in the men in black. Right. Has turned. And now we know that there's like there's like a mole in the men in black of some sort. And this is a they agent, go agent gone rogue Mission kind Impossible of story. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. Mission Impossible, Golden Eye kind of kind of thing. Although I will actually not quite Golden Eye, uh, but just because we still haven't done that. We haven't done the the agent who successfully got away and is like coming for them you mean the demi Moore, charlie's angels full throttle exactly <laughs> you're right yeah. yeah that's that's i don't i i i'm stu- stupid of me to call to call out golden eye i definitely should have gone after that Alex one Trevelyan, right? <laughs> <laughs> so let's see Did they go to marrakesh after that not quite because first first you have the the scene where agency tries to neuralize them both and you have oh, that yeah. weird scene where they're like holding their glasses, but like that was fun. Y- yeah, yeah, it was. It was fun. It was just like he was like gung ho. He was like ready to do he it. He was yeah. real trigger happy. Yeah, mm-hmm. he just could not wait to get them off of his plate. I don't know. I, uh, he's a little. You know, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, I I want to say that he's cartoony, and and yet the Men in Black franchise is supposed to be a cartoony. But the tone of this movie isn't, and so he sticks out. I feel like he's the only one who knows what movie he's in. Right, yeah. I, I feel like everyone else is in a not Men in Black movie. He's definitely the person I could see the most, like, talking to J&K or yeah. the worm guys. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, we forgot. We had that one shot of the worm guys getting off the subway. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Are we the same ones every time? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah. So then they look they, better than Frank. Yeah. So then now they go to to Marrakesh. And that's where we meet the beard alien. 
who is the actor who plays Vungus. Really? Yes, same guy, at least according to IMDb. That's cool. Is he also Nandor from What We Do in the Shadows? Maybe? That's who I thought Beard Guy looked like. Yeah, that's possible. But same guy. So he has a beard that's actually an alien that like stays strapped to his chin. That's, that's Men in Black. That's very Men in Black. Yeah. It's probably the most Men in Black alien of the bunch. Uh, what did y'all think of the moment where he just 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 smacks the shit out of his, his buddy? I mean, that's like when they shake <laughs> Frank the Pug, you yeah. know, in the first movie. It <laughs> me of that. I don't know. <laughs> it just makes me every four episodes in a row that's come up and it just makes me laugh every time. Yeah, no, it's amazing. <laughs> so good. Oh, uh, Mushu was great. Oh, uh, Mushu. Bless. Yeah, so then they find Kumail Nanjiani. Yeah, Pawnee. Um, so yeah. I made a little smart ass remark last episode, listeners, where like I made a bet that none of the actors <laughs> speak directly to Pawnee. <laughs> and that Pawnee was just like put in and post. Uh and that's not true. Uh, the idea of a chessboard civilization is actually an old Walter Parks idea that he'd had in the back of his head for a Men in Black something. And they finally found room for it here. Camille Nagiani did that kind of like Lupita Nyong'o facial performance capture stuff for his role of Pawnee. And they go out of their way to stay in the book that he was like, oh, it was just kind of like organic that he was funny. Like we didn't, it, we just found the character. And I don't know. He just seems like... I don't know. Like market research said, the kids like BB-8. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, they need to run into a cute little animal thing that goes on her shoulder and can be on the poster. Yeah. That is literally just Kumail Nanjiani's voice. Yeah. Unaltered. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't really know. Like, I don't know how to describe Pawnee, like his personality. You know how like BB-8's a little stinker? Yeah. He's devoted, but not so devoted that he's willing to kill himself. Yeah, 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 good. Yeah, so there's a like we we see him, the queen dies in his arms. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then he's like over it really quickly and just into Tessa Thompson. So like I don't know how seriously to take his devotion, mm-hmm. and that's like his own his main character. Yeah, <laughs> Cass, um, what did you think of Pawnee? He was kind of annoying. Right, it's fair. I didn't know. It was, and, and like, <laughs> I didn't know it was coming it, on Johnny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it's like, well, there is no character, so do I just think Kumail Nanjiani's <laughs> yeah, annoying right, right now? <laughs> yeah. It's weird yeah, that the... she has like a little Funko Pop size alien buddy. Like, I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what was that adding? Yeah. <laughs> also, does that mean that he's gonna be in all of them? <laughs> and and oh, is uh, he gonna be in a little suit? Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Um <laughs> I don't I don't get it. It's also interesting because they're like an alien species. Who that are based on chess pieces. Yeah. So he's a pawn, and then you have the queen. Presumably I, a rook. Yeah, presumably a rook and a bishop. But it's like are so so are you telling me so which which way is it? Is it that chess, the game of chess is oh, based on this alien species? <laughs> yeah. Or did this alien species find out about chess and change their entire society to revolve around chess? I like the second one. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. It's, uh, it's cla- <laughs> I will say it's classic Men in Black in that what if small stuff was inside bigger stuff? Um, more than meets the eye. Yeah. Which is classic in Men in Black. But yeah, like there's a part later on, spoilers, where you think I thought Pawnee was going to die saving Tessa Thompson. And I was like legit excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
It's like, oh, cool. They're going <laughs> to they're gonna do it. <laughs> so this leads to him deciding that M is his new queen. Yeah. Um, and now he's devoted to her. And then she's like forced to like take him in his pocket. There's those weird shots of his point of view. Oh, of them, lean, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lean, of them leaning directly into the camera. Was which, that a fisheye lens? Or was uh, it, yeah. Okay. I think it was a soft fisheye. I don't think it was quite a fisheye. I think it might have been like just a, an extreme wide angle. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely that same like kind of distorted look right. for sure. Fisheyes are very extreme. They're like fisheyes are like when you um when there's a shot of them looking through a peephole. You know, mm-hmm. and the person like gets close and their nose gets really big. That's that's a fisheye. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite that extreme, but it's it was off putting to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Pawnee wants to kill himself, but kind of doesn't because he has a new queen. now. Yeah, so he queen. has something to live for. So they all they all leave. They borrow a crazy like rocket bike. Yes, they do. Yeah. This motorbike chase sequence was born out of the first location scout for the movie. F. Gary Gray was like, oh, hell yeah. Motorcycle chase. And they're like, all right. Wade Wade Weaswood used to be a bike chaser, <laughs> a bike chaser, a bike racer. <laughs> yeah. And Chris Hemsworth is no stranger to bike riding. So they actually built like four different bikes, practical wow. bikes for the sequence. Okay. That's cool. There was a prop one. There was uh, one that could get flown in on wires and cables oh. for like jumps. There was one with three wheels, a third wheel that Hemsworth could actually physically drive around in Marrakesh. And then there was like a CG one for like digital shots. But yeah, they when they found out that Hemsworth could do a lot of the physical stunts himself, they took advantage of that and decided to like have the kind of chase where you could see him like bumping into walls and like doing tight turns and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Tessa Thompson was a good passenger, which is a skill unto itself of just being able to like hold on and react and act to stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She illegally uses a neuralizer in the scene and gives them no memories to replace the she, hole in the ceiling. <laughs> she doesn't even neuralize everyone who saw them. Yeah. Just forward, back, let's go. I think it's the sloppiest thing I've ever seen an MIB agent do in a movie. Yeah, because like she doesn't even know how to use the thing. Like, <laughs> so. Anyway, very strange. So. They can escape to the desert. Yeah, yeah. They use the red button on this thing. They push the red button. And for some reason, this non-Men in Black thing ha- also has a red button uh, <laughs> that teleports them into the desert. And An- then another sweeping vista. Yeah. And then immediately dies. This might some... have been the slowest part of the movie for me. Yeah. Mm. So they they like walk around and then they camp. The beard alien is in their water bottle and basically steals the weapon and then bails. We get a we get our rocket. We get a heart to heart where H kind of like blows up about people telling them that he's changed. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This is where we learn that the ribbon thing is a weapon. Uh, M re- figures out how to open it and then creates a. Cliffside in the desert. Yeah. Terraforms the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of crazy. And then we get Rebecca Ferguson as Riza, the alien arms dealer. She's an arms dealer with an extra arm. Do you get it? Do you get the joke? Do you get it? That didn't occur to me until just now, and I'm angry now. (laughs) She's an arms dealer. Um, I was just really disappointed that she wasn't like an overtly alien chick because clearly he's yeah. into that and then it's just like oh she has the third arm okay i guess all right that works I guess. yeah she was, just, <laughs> she was just rebecca ferguson with a wig yeah yeah for most of it yeah lots of uh they're both fully out of their uniforms now right right there's some fights 
Oh, you find out that uh, Rizzo's bodyguard is the cute little alien monkey dog that Molly saved when she which, was a girl. Which I called the absolute second he appeared on screen, and I, Nick just laughed. <laughs> <laughs> just like, the second he walked in. He yeah. Was like, oh, is that the alien from Beautiful Girl? That's amazing. Girl? <laughs> <laughs> I, just didn't, I just didn't say anything. <laughs> he just laughed, and I was like, yeah, I guess wow. so. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> He was just so distinctive. He just had like a real like yeah. cookie monster who's been working out vibes. I kind of liked his design. It was, yeah. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. It cool. It's because he was yeah. blue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Beast from the X-Men vibes too. I kind of, I just wish they had given Rebecca Ferguson more to do. Like give her like a big fun character like Jeebs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, H is fighting him, the the monster guy. And... M is fighting um, Riza, and that's that was a fun back and forth kind of fight scene. I like that. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Not too bad. And then eventually he turns on Riza because he was friends with Molly. There's like you recognize like he just said the thing and he's like Molly. <laughs> <laughs> she remembered after all these years the phrase that he she told her in her in his in his alien language. Yeah, which means like death to those who would bind us or whatever no it was like it was like i owe you one murder basically was <laughs> is what it came down to oh cool yeah it's just like it's just like hey when the time comes thank you for this and when the time comes i will murder any one person that you want i give to you my people's most sacred gift that of murder <laughs> yeah is that implied that she he murders rebecca ferguson well no she she tells him not to okay. she's like no just hold her off until we get out of here they, although presumably he still does because how else is he going to get out of there right if he doesn't do that uh h drowns two men you want to go over that oh yeah she he's like being escorted back to the boat and then he knocks two guys unconscious and throws them in the water I'm like, <laughs> they're both dead yeah, they both drowned <laughs> also just like not to be an asshole but if you just isolated those 10 seconds and just like showed them to me on my phone and then was like that's from a men in black movie yeah you know they weren't even aliens they were just too like like mediterranean kind of like james bond yeah (laughs) anyway the twins meet them on a on a cliffside and then the mib backup shows up and obliterates them yeah okay so (laughs) these things can bend matter yeah and change like wood into metal and like change concrete into lava Mm -hmm. yeah and you're like how are they gonna and then they just get gunned down by like a bunch of agents with space guns yeah like they like cross the streams of the space guns or some shit and high then... like you just need a bigger gun yeah and... there was like six of them all shooting them yeah. simultaneously and yeah. like i get that they were never the real villain they were kind of like the red herring i guess right but like that doesn't mean it has to be like a throwaway yeah i don't know yeah you know no, you're right you know what the twins remind me of they remind me of a chris chibnall era doctor who villain where it's oh, like yeah. they they just are yes. there and they like chase them but they have no personality and they look kind of cool ish mm-hmm. you know yes. yeah they have like a strong con- concept mm-hmm. you're like what if this man was teeth or like <laughs> what if this man was teeth <laughs> what if what if these twins could create stuff but yeah they don't really do they're just like Jason Voorhees yeah stalking mm-hmm. yeah. you yeah. yeah i'm sad they don't dance yeah like dancing alien twins? That's rad. What if yeah. they had to what if they had to dance to use their powers? Yeah. Like it's so simple to like 
be able to like you know work incorporate it. I they're, guess they're from a race where they're like a dyad and they always have to be like moving together. Right. Yeah. Like, that's way more Men in Black. Like that guy just being like, "You're not going to dance." That's silly. And I was like, "Men in Black is silly." Yes. Yeah. yeah. The whole franchise right. is silly. Yeah. Have you seen a Men in Black movie? Right. There's a there's a beatboxing alien that works at a post office. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, there is. <laughs> hell yeah, there is. Man. And Will Smith already knows his language. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, high tease the mole. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my H god. Got, yeah. Uh, so that that part in the movie happened. They like turn over the thing, and I was like, "Wait a minute, this is not the end of the movie." Because I was expecting mm-hmm. the the turn, like the twist, I guess the quote unquote twist, because it's like telegraph from a mile away, um, mm-hmm. to happen on the island. Like when they hand it over, I was expecting Liam Neeson to do like a badass villain monologue at that point. Um, yeah. And then it never happens, and I was just like, "Wait." This is seriously the end of the movie. And then I was getting really, really angry. And then the movie kept going. And I was like, all right, all right. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. Just, we didn't need all this. We could have <laughs> taken care of this already. Yeah. We didn't, like, there's an easy way to cut 10 minutes out. It's just, <laughs> I cut to the chase. So, C, they all find out that High tees them all. I like the little moment where C's like, yeah, I thought it was UH, but no, he turns out he was the bad guy. Yeah. I was like, that's fun. Mm-hmm. The idea of there being a mole in MIB is a cool idea and i feel like it isn't like, can you imagine if like an old if like that was a plot of like one of the old movies mm-hmm. where it was like oh shit like we're a tight group this sucks yeah well the problem i think is that we focus all of our time on the twins as the villains of mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. but they're not they're inconsequential to what the actual plot of the movie is mm-hmm. yeah you know, they're just an obstacle on the road to getting to the point. Because mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. I think they're being a mole the whole time and them trying to, like, figure out who it is. I, I also just think we there's not enough characters for us to not immediately know who the mole is. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like, um, like, well, even this movie isn't lazy enough for it to just be Rafe's ball. Right. Yeah. And that leaves one character. You know, <laughs> so even Scooby-Doo was like, well, it's not the first jerk they meet. Yeah. I just remembered something <laughs> that I don't I don't I don't know if I just missed the resolution of this or if it just never came. Hmm. High T gives M a gift on her first day. Mm-hmm. What was that gift and what was the purpose of that gift? She mentions it offhand. It's like a throwaway line where it was just like, like, how did he find us? And she was just like, oh, he gave me a gift on my first day. I think he's been tracking us the whole time. Oh, uh, it's a tracking device. Yeah, yeah. Okay, they sure could have did tra- that better. The yeah. tracking device looked cooler than the the purple thing she found. Yeah, yeah, yeah. true, very true. That was a cool tracking device. It probably should have served more of a purpose beyond being a tracking device. Like use it, this to call me whenever you want. Yeah, mm-hmm. like if it did another thing, and then it turns out it's also a tracking device, yeah. that would have been yeah. way better. But instead, it's just a tracking you device. Have to go to the bathroom. It, it tells you where one is. <laughs> She's just carrying around in her pocket for no reason uh, because her boss gave it to her. Yeah, so they go back to the they go back to the Eiffel Tower. H realizes that T neuralized him. For a while, we think that T is a traitor, but what we learn is that Liam Neeson actually isn't a traitor. He was replaced by an alien, the right? Hive. The Hive. Um, he was taken the over. The main villain of the movie who we just now are saying what right. they're called. The Hive. I think T is just dead. Yeah, T died that day yeah. when we the cold opened that we never saw the ending of. Right. Neuralized H. 
Right. And then has been li- like coasting off of like, oh, I guess we saved the world and I just don't remember it. Right. Mm. So, okay. So we get classic Chris Hemsworth, which is like fun, fancy, free, party, good time guy, but hiding real, real hurt, loss of identity. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that. And like he steps up and he plays that really well mm-hmm. in that that scene in the elevator when he's like realizing that he's been like repressing all of this. Mm-hmm. And I I just wish it was in a better movie. Yeah, yeah, like, it's a cool moment. Yeah. The the the, the, the ultimate betrayal of a men in black agent realizing they've been neuralized by their partner. Mm. Like that's huge. Yeah, you and, know, and it's cool. It's playing with concepts that we already know about. Yeah, from watching these movies. Yeah, and it. In the same way that, like, when Mission Impossible or the Marvel movies do something cool, where you're like, you've been paying attention, you know what a neuralizer is, yeah. So we're mixing it up, yeah. I just and I and I love like it's it's literally just Chris Hemsworth realizing said it right first try. Chris Hemsworth <laughs> realizing that he actually is just a himbo. Like that's <laughs> that's what happens in that moment. I was like, oh, I'm not a good agent. I'm just a himbo that got neuralized into thinking that he was a good agent. The, I don't the know that, that like I, I don't know that he re- comes to the realization that he's not a good agent because like well he's not a hero agent he, yeah, he's yeah, not, yeah 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 he's yeah. not what he what he's been coasting on this mm-hmm, whole time mm-hmm. yeah he's just another agent he's not like yeah. special yeah yeah still the tallest and the handsomest that's true <laughs> definitely a himbo I mean you know I mean yeah. I don't think there's any debating that but. <laughs> And then M gets sucked in the portal. Yeah. Yeah. Pawnee goes in to save her. Really thought he was going to die, but he With, doesn't. He's got, he's got, he's dual wielding grappling, uh, hooks. grappling hooks. <laughs> and then she eradicates the hive with the, with the weapon. There was originally in the book, uh, a sequence that shows the hive unfolding past Liam Neeson's face, mm-hmm. like his skin folding up and around and like scales. Mm-hmm. And they were like too scary. And so it just becomes what it is in the movie where it just like blends. Like morphs. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get this like tacked on epilogue. Well, we basically learn that she's going back to New York. He's staying in London. She gets her neuralizer. I think he's becoming high H, right? Isn't that what the. <laughs> yeah, he's going to take the, over what? the. He's going to take over the branch. Right. Yeah. The Liam Neeson spot. Yeah. 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 Okay. So he's becoming high H. She's going <laughs> to continue being M over in New York. Which means they're going their separate ways, which I think is really interesting because you could have gone one of two ways. Now, Hollywood being what it is, the direction that they would go is that she has a partner in New York. He's working in London. Will Arnett. Something happens. Right. Something happens that is international, but based in New York. So he has to come to New York and then they cross paths again. Right. That's what they would do. But it would have also been really cool if they were simultaneously launching two franchises Mm. one led by tessa thompson set in america and the other led by chris hemsworth in in london like you get two cold you get two stingers at the end where it's like agent o is like oh and here's your new partner agent m and like you swivel and it's like donald glover yeah yeah and then you go to london and then it's like here's your new partner agent h and it's like elton john (laughs) (laughs) right of course naturally That was the other thing, too, that was weird about the international set is that, like, there are no partners. No one has partners. Like, mm-hmm. she just worked on that case with him. They weren't partners. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they're not they're not assigned partners like in in in, uh, New in, in New York, like cops. And that I thought was really 
interesting too. Mm. A, a weird change. But yeah, we get that last scene where they're just like, well, I, one last ride. I really always like... <laughs> because this was directed by a director of The Fast and the Furious. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the return of the guitar motif that uh, always plays in tender moments. Who did, the, who did the score on this one? Uh, Danny Elfman. Oh. And a co-scorer. Oh, like an assistant. An assisting scorer. Okay. Scorist. Scorist. Uh, composer. I thought it was one of those things where it was like a mentor-mentee situation, because Hans Zimmer does that. Yeah. But the other gentleman, I forget his name, had like a fair amount of credits for oh. about like 10 years. So yeah, it's kind of at the end of this movie that it really hit me how little we got to know H&M as characters. Yeah. Because like it ends on like, a, oh, but I don't want to say goodbye to you. And I'm like, I wish we cared about them. I wish we had any feelings about this, mm-hmm. the way that the movie's telling us we should. Yeah, well, Cass, what did you think of H&M? Now that we're at the end. What do you what do you think about H&M, the store? The store. <laughs> <laughs> I think their clothes are cheap, but also inexpensive. So, yeah, you, you buy them when you need them. You know they're not going to last. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just keep coming back to like they try so hard to make you care about so many different things with this. And it's just like. it It just doesn't really work. I think the only reason why I it does work work a little bit is because Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth had worked together previously and they have really good chemistry with each other. Mm-hmm. It's a shame because it feels like a little bit of a waste of like everyone's talent and not time, but you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like there's this little moment where Tessa Thompson like runs up the stairs, but she's also holding a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she like does a like, oh, how do I balance this? And it's like, oh, you're so good without even trying that like yeah, this could have been something really cool. It's it seems like a movie where just no really strong choices were made or mm. strong risks were taken. Yeah, I think it's the risks thing that really bothers me. I feel like they thought turning it into an espionage franchise was the risk and so therefore they played everything else extremely was, safe. I mean, it's like you said they didn't go hard enough on the James Bond thing. Yeah. Like if they yeah, had done like I agree. More of like an oh, not an homage, but you know, like like a I don't know. Yeah, or like what we were saying at the very beginning, what Laurie McDonald said about Twenty One Jump Street. Yeah, of like yeah, taking these like oh, we all know Q, we all know the gadget person, but now it's an alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's Men in Black gadgets. Mm-hmm. I mean, that this is literally a franchise <laughs> known for gadgets, right? And they don't think to have a Q. That's so crazy to me. I don't what know. if Tessa Thompson was like a big, crazy, quirky alien? That was an agent or Chris Hemsworth. One of them was like an agent as a human. And so it was like, that would be cool. I'm an earthling, even though I'm an alien. I don't think of myself as a, I'm, I'm from earth, but like, <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, that would be, that would be fun. I I feel like the, the, the budget would, would have been a struggle on that. I'm thinking like Vulcan ears. Oh, that kind of alien. Okay. Yeah. But maybe play. like super give her a big character. Like, yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio has, but yeah. like, because a hero has never gotten a chance to be like a big, crazy alien character. That's true. That's very true. I'm still stuck on the Q thing. Like, they could have even <laughs> because she like repairs the the space bike, she like hacks mm-hmm. NASA. Like, make her the Q. You yeah. know, like it ends with her. Like, I don't know, just working. Yeah. On, I mean, I know that like it's cool. We want to see like Tessa Thompson like kicking ass in the field and stuff. But like, yeah. I don't know. It would have been, been cool if at the end she was like, you know, I don't actually don't think I want to be in the field. Because remember at the beginning when they're like, check a box and she doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's like, 
you guys need this. You guys need a quartermaster. You need a gadget person. Mm-hmm. Let Hemsworth be the cool Indiana Jones person. Mm-hmm. I want to be this. Mm-hmm. Or because like, you know, or if you want like Askick and Tessa Thompson Valkyrie, like give her more stuff to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, this movie doesn't end on a on a on a weird twist thing. Right. The Which, world's a marble. Yeah, the world the the galaxy is a marble. Uh the we all live in a locker uh in a, in an alien airport. Uh uh and then the last one was just like if if K doesn't tip this guy, an asteroid is going to hit the earth. Um because of you fatalism. Know, yeah, it's it's all the Men in Black movies have ended on a moment like that. And this movie just doesn't it just ends with them like flying away into the sunset. Like it doesn't end with Pawnee holding up a chessboard with like earth in it. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. you guys. You're the Pawnee now, dog. <laughs> yeah. It also big missed opportunity. So last movie three just ended with a Pitbull song and this one doesn't end with diddly. Anything. No. Yeah. Nothing. Definitely could have used like a back and forth watch throne style rap between Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth. About <laughs> the plot. Yeah, for sure. I, so I, I don't think that this movie is a total, like abject failure mm-hmm. i and and i don't necessarily want this to go the way of like ghostbusters answer the call where they're just like well that never we, happened we tried a thing once and never again you know i would like them to do another one because just like that movie i think you could make a sequel that is better and you could fix the things that didn't quite work as well as you wanted them to and give those same characters another shot that's not how Hollywood works, so I doubt that we're going to get that. Right. But I would not be opposed to another another movie with these two characters, but mm-hmm. like give it to a new screenwriter, give it to another director, and really just kind of start from scratch again with just the concept of Men in Black yeah. International. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And find a way to surprise us, because I think that's sort of, that was the thing that everyone kind of perked up, even cast for the first time about 23 Jump Street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of like, whoa, what's that? Right. Closing thoughts on the franchise. I think that it's cool how this ended that even that Hollywood reporter story that I, I was, I was referencing a lot says it didn't describe this as a franchise killer so much as a franchise cooler. Yeah. Like everyone involved, especially the studio is like, this is a gold mine. This is such an ace idea mm-hmm. of guns and gadgets and espionage and partners. And like, this isn't going to go away forever. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be a question of like, what's the best situation? Right. I'm still, I'm still into the idea of there being like a Mac series. I, I really think a TV series is the best place for the Men in Black franchise to go to become like a big budget procedural show on like HBO or something with an overarching plot, but like case of the week vibes. Yeah. I think that would be awesome, but I don't know. <laughs> Guess what are your closing thoughts on the Men in Black franchise? Yeah. Well, I mean, I missed out on the third one, but like, mm-hmm. I think watching this because it's been years since I've seen that first movie. Like, I want to go back and like revisit the first movie because, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It's just like it's a really fun, weird sci-fi romp with like weird yeah. aliens and stuff. You know? Yeah. So who doesn't love weird aliens? Yeah. Yeah. This one could have used some more weird aliens and less cute aliens. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think from from the standpoint of just story, I think I rank the movies one, three, four, two. Oh, interesting. Um, but but I think I think vibes two has 
more Men in Black vibes than this one does. Mm. And I don't know which of those would win out ultimately. <laughs> like, which one am I going to watch more often? Well, two has Mushu with a big old cigar in his mouth. That's true. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But it also has K and, and Z and Zed doing wire work. Wire karate. Um, yeah. Wire karate. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. I feel like they're weirdly on equal footing. They, re- they remind me of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the third one is kind of like the first one where it's just like this weird little story that isn't trying to be a big blockbuster. It's just trying to like be itself. Right. Right. Yeah. With Josh Brolin doing like an excellent Tommy Lee Jones impression. Oh, my God. Incredible. So, yeah. Thus ends volume one of franchiseography, mm-hmm. Men in Black. What was the box office numbers on this one? I think it was the lowest grossing movie in the franchise. I know it opened to 30 million. Woof. But it was a tough summer. I remember that was a summer that like nothing was really packing them in that wasn't Avengers. Mm-hmm. So total box office looks to be 253.9 on a 110 budget. But that includes international. International gross is not international <laughs> the movie. <laughs> it just see, It's a fertile storytelling plot. Mm-hmm. Earth. You know yeah. what I mean? There's a lot. There's a lot of fertile ground there. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's I think there's room to do another Men in Black movie. You just got to get the right creators attached. Oh, I was thinking about who if we ever did another movie this morning, like who would be my two? My, oh, yeah. My agents. Yeah. And I came to uh, Michael Shannon Ooh. and Little Nas X. <laughs> Interesting combo. OK. Fascinating. <laughs> uh, listener, you can't see Nick, but he is very pr- proud of himself. <laughs> He just put his he just put his hands on his hips and he's like, "Take that, America!" That's you're telling me this guy's my partner. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the first person that comes to my mind is is uh, Paul Rudd. Feels Ooh, yeah. feels like a Men in Black vibe mm-hmm. i don't know hmm. it's so tricky because you got to get you have to have that chemistry like the fact that k and j have the chemistry that they have is and it's I, a miracle and right? i think that's the best part and i think that's why the first three movies even the second one which is like kind of written off as like oh it's a, it's a cash grabby they just didn't want to but like they see these movies as about k and j right and they're like, well, why would we make them about? Yeah, because it's such a miracle of chemistry mm-hmm. that you want to keep that going. Mm-hmm. That's that's this movie's biggest problem. All three Men in Black movies, the Sonnenfeld ones, are about J and K. This movie is not about H and M. It's just not. It's not about them. They're in it, and they're the ones moving yeah. the story along. But you don't learn anything about them. Mm-hmm. They don't have a character arc. There's nothing. There's never a scene where they change each other. No, nothing. Nothing. Um, and that's and that's the problem. It's not there's no answer to a philosophical question that they're trying to answer mm-hmm. over the course of the movie. Whereas like all three of the other ones have some sort of question that's posed at the beginning that is answered by the end. And that never happens in this one. It's just two kind of characters going on an adventure just one step to the next. You know, mm-hmm. it's very paint by numbers, as, as Cass said at the beginning. They both look good in suits, though. They do. They do. I even like Tessa Thompson's uh, makeshift men in black suit at the beginning mm-hmm. with her like yeah, combat boots. Yeah. This is a vibe. Speaking of vibes, next season. Oh, yeah. So we're, uh, we're pivoting hard. Well, this is the end of our first uh, miniseries, the men in black miniseries, which represents the science fiction genre. 
And our next miniseries will be the horror genre where we will be covering the Scream franchise. Uh, it's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I love Scream Yeah, you love so those much. movies. You do. They're like your babies. Yeah. Yeah, they are. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like... <laughs> Except uh, you really don't like one of your babies. That's true. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely despise one of my babies. <laughs> Woof. But more on that later. <laughs> That's another thing that Men in Black International was missing. Frank should have made, made a wolf pun. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you see those shoes? Woof. Woof. <laughs> he was one of the nine uh, sources in the movie, in the Hollywood Reporter story. That's true. Um, Eight writers. Woof. <laughs> oh, I also want to I want to shout out. I think he's he'll, he'll eventually be a guest at some point. I don't know where, because I don't think he's going to be guesting in the um, in, in, in any of the ones that we have, any of the miniseries we have lined up. But I do want to shout out Scott Tofty, who created our uh, theme music, which absolutely rules. And that's just the theme music for the science fiction miniseries. He is doing a new theme for every genre that we're covering. That's so cool. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Also, make sure that you're following us on Twitter, because now that this franchise is over, we are going to start the voting process for the miniseries that will be following the miniseries following Scream. Because, you know, we need to know in advance what we're doing so we can do the research and everything. But uh, yeah, so if you want to want to help us decide what the uh, what the next franchise is, then you're going to want to follow us on Twitter so that you can be part of the voting process. And then if you want to be the final decider, you'll be you'll want to become a, a Patreon supporter at duelinggenre.com slash support because that's where the final vote happens. The deciding vote, I should say, for um, the next franchise. So follow us on Twitter, become a Patreon supporter, duelinggenre.com slash support. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Come every time you come around